I'm Eric. I'm Lucas. And we are the Modern Agronomists. We are putting a modern spin on an old industry. All right, welcome back to the show, guys. Uh, today we have uh, Dave Wilkins from Random Lake, uh, mostly a cash grain farmer. Uh, also joining us is Chris Reichert from Country Visions, our protege in the co-op. Um, let's start off, uh, Dave, why don't you give us a little background and tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. Well, I guess I started farming back in 78, and we started out on a rented farm, milking cows. In 88, we bought the farm we're on now, and in uh, 2011, we sold the cows and basically strictly went into crop farming then from there on. So I believe Chris mentioned you, you farm with your son as well? Yeah, he's part-time farmer. Part-time farmer, all right. <laughs> he, he, he's an agronomist. Well, I think that's what he is for uh, Golden Harvest. We farm pretty much together. He's got his land, I got mine, and we just work together. What are your primary crops you're growing? Corn and beans and wheat. A little bit of oats, but that's basically it. So you mentioned you started in, what year did you say you started? 78. Was that family, business no, you actually, got in or you started by yourself? I bought a herd of cows year after I got out of high school. And uh, we did have cows. My dad sold them to my brother when I was a sophomore in high school. And then he moved away. He moved up to Malone. And uh, then after uh, high school, I worked for another farmer for about a year, and then I bought a herd of cows and started milking cows on a rented farm till, uh, till we, we bought the farm we have now. How many cows were you milking back then? Back then, 32. 32? Yep. What'd you end at? 60. 60? Yeah. So from then to now, you obviously sold the cows, so... You're not taking any of the crops for forage really anymore? No, no. How is How have you changed your practices since you got rid of the cows? Well, once the cows left, we were starting with no-till before that, some. We have a farm 10 miles away, which would have been the farm that's been in our family for over 100 years. And uh, once, well, my dad passed away, and then the kids grew up and went off to college, and I had to speed up on planting because we still had to take care of the cows. And so we started the no-till down there so I could go down there, planter, plant, and come back home. And that's how we started it for the most part. And uh, But once the cows left, then we went 100% no-till. We were doing no-till at home. We did a lot of test plots. Uh, I think it was, I'm not sure if we did it for Pioneer and Monsanto. It was just for Monsanto. And uh, so we were doing those at home. Before we sold the cows, and once we sold the cows, then we went 100% no-till. Mm-hmm. What are some of the changes you've had to make to your equipment over the years to go exclusively no-till? Well, basically only need a planter. Uh, we still have everything else yet. We haven't gotten rid of it. The plow still sits in the shed, the chisel plow, the field cultivator, the disc, and periodically they get used to rent a land or something. We have to fix something. But basically, we go out there and plant. Uh, we bought a sprayer, so we, you know, plant and spray for the most part. We do have, we bought the combine after the cows left also. So we do our own combining now. Mm-hmm. Was the time constraint the only thing that made you go to no-till, or was there other? Hate hated picking stones. <laughs> I hear you there. 
I mean, that, it, it wasn't, even the time was some. It just sickens me when I see the erosion washed off of fields. It just, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself an environmentalist, but I, I consider myself a conservationist. It bothers me when I see these fields just washing or, uh, I see the water running off of our fields and you could drink it, it almost looks like when the snow is melting. Mm-hmm. And then you see other places where it's just brown coming down ditches and we only get so much topsoil. Uh, right. And that's the most important thing that we have right now. So that was probably more that and the time constraint. So, so first starting out there, did, was there, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, certain no-till, it's, it's a different animal as far as the way you're used to thinking of things, so on and so forth. Did it take some years at all to get in where you felt really comfortable? Or did you just kind of jump in and everything was kind of just worked its way out? I'll be honest with you. I'm still not comfortable 100%. Uh, you, you get done combining in the fall and you see everybody else out there chisel plowing. And my son sent me a video of somebody plowing the other day. I thought, oh, that good old days, <laughs> turning that black soil over. Now it's pretty much, it's gotten too much easier. Uh, it, it was difficult for a long time to not do tillage. But every time we harvest, our, our yields consistently go up. It, it's, it's worked for us tremendously. Have you had to make much investments in, in planters? Or has that kind of been the same? Or have you just slowly kind of improved just as stuff gets wore out and you need something different? Well, we uh, started out with a John Deere 7200 four-row planter, and uh, we started, that's when we no-till our first corn. And we put, I think the first thing we put on was uh, no-till coulters. Well, then we had to update the fertilizer openers to make that work. And, well, then we needed the row cleaners, and then you need the closing wheels. So we basically are using, we, we switched over since then to a Kinsey because I wanted to be able to plant beans. We went to interplant plant beans and corn with the same planter, not have to have two planters. And, uh, but you, you need the row cleaners. You need the no-till coulter. Well, the no-till coulters, you need the no-till coulters for the fertilizer, more so. Once you're no-tilling for a while, the ground gets mellower, and you really don't need the no-till coulters on the, for the seed. As long as you keep the other one sharp, you do very well. We still do have them on because we uh, we do custom work and we pick up other land here and there, and so they're still on the planter. But you also need the closing wheels. We switch closing wheels, and uh, Keaton seed firmers make a huge difference. So, how is your planter set up? Are you right now? Are you running? Are you thirty inch rows, twenty inch rows? We're thirty inch rows. Thirty inch rows. Yeah. Dry starter, liquid starter. We, when we go across the field, we're putting dry starter out there. We're putting pop-up out, uh, running 28% behind, and sometimes using insecticide if we need it. Sure. So it's a costly trip, that one trip over the field. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love that idea, though, of getting the dry and then still be on supplemental 28 early. To me, from what I've seen, it's just huge when that when that corn finally hits that band. It just takes off in a hurry. We're, we're putting it right on the roll. We're just dribbling it out the back, 20 gallons an acre, right on, well, maybe off an inch or two, okay. but it's right there. And, you know, for years we've been broadcasting it. I think this is much more beneficial, putting Absolutely. it right there. Are you doing that with your soybeans as well? Are you Do you have dry starter going out with your soybeans? No, we actually, we have two planters now. We 
we took the inner plant off the first planter so we could hang the nitrogen tanks on where they were. A few years ago, we bought a bean planter. So we have one planter just for beans. Uh, there is times when uh, if I want to plant 30-inch beans, I'll just plant the beans with the corn planter. Then I can put the dry fertilizer on or whatever I want. But most of the beans are planted with the bean planter. Okay. Out of all the updates you've made on your on your corn planter, which one do you think helped you the most? Row cleaners. Probably the row cleaners. And then uh, closing wheels. Yeah. Uh, probably the most, I would think. I think those are two pretty critical. Absolutely. Yeah. So that you see the most, yeah. One thing, I guess, I question for you on the row cleaners. Um, we were just talking about the National No-Till Conference, and they were discussing how many different options there are. You know, there was like 50,000 different combinations you could do. For someone that might be trying out a row cleaner or looking to, or I mean a closing wheel, um, what would your recommendation be to start with? Probably a Martin spike wheel and the rubber wheel. Okay. After I say that, I'm going to tell you that we're switching them this year. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's more of just a trial and error type of thing? Or, I mean, because it, with that many different combinations, it just, it seems like all of them could work, you know? Or yeah. is it more of what works on your farm? Well, it also depends on your soil, mm-hmm. uh, how wet it is. Basically, in no-till, we are constantly planting into wet ground. Uh, and that's our biggest problem with the closing wheels. Something that's going to clean. And we're we're going to switch to uh S&I has one out there that we're going to switch that this year again and we're hoping for a drier spring. The last time we had them on there we had a very wet spring and we kept having them plug up. Uh I think they're going to work better if it's a little bit drier. This past year they probably would have worked great. So in regards to that, I mean we've had some absolutely brutal springs the last few years. I mean yeah. maybe we we get going early and then all of a sudden we get we get terribly wet again. How do you relate some of your timing-wise with being no-till? Because, I mean, I mean, I guess there's two ways of thinking. We could say maybe we are getting drier faster being, or if we're not tilling. But if we're tilling, we can air it out. So how do you – how does that relate to you as far as what you look at for your timing, your plants? I mean, are you are you looking at date I got to get going, or are you looking at if it's fit to go? Depends which part of the month we're in. I suppose. <laughs> yep, yep. Beginning of May, well, it's not fit yet. You'll wait. You get to be close to June, crap, I can get the tractor across where we're going. I mean, and I think that's with people that are working the soil too. Sure. You know, they'll have so much patience. If it's fit, it's going to turn out a lot better. Uh, but we have found out that we can plant a lot wetter in no-till than the guy who's working the soil because then they create lumps. For some reason, we don't create lumps. The biggest problem we have is not sinking or anything, but the wheels on the side of the row, the row unit wheels, building up with ground. Okay. That's our biggest problem. And once they start building up, well, then you're pulling the planter out of the ground. Uh, that's our biggest problem. We, we, can, we can plant through. I've already, honestly, have planted through water, and it worked. It just happened to be a small spot in the field, and we go right through it. We, we've noticed that we carry so much better now once we're not working the ground. We just... We just carry across the top. Yep. 
which is hard to believe, but it does yep. it does happen. Uh, and we've seen that even with, with our sprayers going across no-till ground, standing water where right. unconventionally tilled, you know, you don't dare do it. Well, no-till, we can usually get it skip right across it. Yeah, it, even combining in the fall, the same thing. Uh, it carries so much better. Do you see, if you have any ponding, do you see that going away a little bit quicker since you've switched some of this? We we don't have a lot of pond, ponding at all no more, but it doesn't dry out. Uh, we, we see we need a need for more tiles uh, because basically if you have a wet spot in the field, what do you do? You just go along the field cultivator, you work it up. Next time around, you get a little closer, and you dry it out, and you plant. Well, we're not doing that, and the wet spots stay wet, and they just don't dry out. We we need to put more tile in to drain those areas and uh, makes it easier for all of us. Absolutely. So. Going back to Lucas's question on the timing of planting, tell us a little bit about that corn you planted in April this year. Well, it stayed in the ground for four weeks. Planted on, I think, the 26th of April. It was a Sunday, and uh, it took four weeks for that to come out of the ground. We, we planted in the field was an oats field last year, so we had volunteer oats growing out there. I hauled a ton of manure on it, you know, from the steers, which probably wasn't the best idea, but we got to go somewhere with it. So we're planting through that, and it just wouldn't warm up. But in the end, it was our highest yielding field. Uh, it, it, we, we lost parts of stands. I mean, uh, I think we planted about 35. We probably only had like 32 out there if we were lucky when we combined it. It was our highest yielding field at the end. Do you attribute that to a little bit? These genetics nowadays have just come so far, too, that we can get away with some of that yeah. stuff? Yeah. 20 years ago, if you had corn in the ground for four weeks, you might as well start replanting. Right. Uh, yeah, the genetics of the corn truly have saved us. A, a field that planted a few days later was actually underwater for a few days when it rained so much. And that made it too. Uh, the yield wasn't quite as high, but it came through and mm-hmm. still had tremendous yields. You implemented, Im- sorry, are you implementing any cover crops on the farm? yes and no you know the last two years we had prevent plant so we use cover crops and those and we planted into them in spring we want to get more in the cover crops we we finally bought a no-till drill so we're able to start planting our own cover crops instead of renting a drill so i think this this coming fall we will be using more cover crops uh we have oats fields where we combine the oats you know you're always going to get some volunteer oats coming back that basically serves as a cover crop. Absolutely. And, well, we planted radishes. Uh, my son's planted field, Canadian field peas. We just plant into them the next spring. Uh, it actually works tremendous. We, we noticed this last year some of the nicest stuff, and I, I sent Chris a picture. We had oats that we planted on, prevent plant, would have been the year before. And I always wanted to take that straw off because I mean, it was up to my chest. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, never got it off it just was way too wet in this last spring everything was pretty much flat when we went in there and that plant it's so nice the row cleaners just moved the stuff away you had little slots in the soil and it grew nice and it suppressed the weeds uh i think we had one pass that we sprayed it with we had no weed problems so i think we're going to get into more of it now that we own our own drill what species or cover crop do you think you're going to get into well, we're probably going to start with more rye. Yeah. Rye and probably uh, uh, radishes. Uh, 
after that, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I'd say rye is pretty common. I mean, yeah. Right. Seems like it's taken off. It's easy to get established. Well, and you can crimp it and yep. uh, plant right in. Yeah, it dies. So the only thing with rye is army worms. They kind of like that. So uh, I guess you got to be willing to spray insecticides and stuff. Let's make sure you that. got Chris out there walking your fields and make sure I'm checking every day. <laughs> yeah. I think he's too busy walking his own field. <laughs> All of a sudden, 10 o'clock at night, I get a picture from him out in his field. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so have you – so with going no-till, has, has any of your herbicide – programs had to change or do you do you find trouble are you running burn downs on everything or how are you going about this very seldom we run a burn down anymore uh our weed pressure has gotten a lot less once we get the fields cleaned up it's gotten a lot less we're probably less using less herbicides than what we did before uh we're using better herbicides we, we've never been the one that okay we're going to spray roundup uh we, we've always used roundup but we use a lot more stuff too, and Multi- uh, modes of action, and yeah, and uh, that we spend a little bit more probably, but not use quite as much, and it, it's worked. It's worked great for us. I think that's pretty critical. I mean, if you're going to allocate your your dollars to herbicide, I think uh, at least give get something that's going to give you some residual or has some power behind it instead of. Uh, yep, I like your hat. <laughs> Definitely like your hat. Yeah. You got any specific advice on no-tilling, or not no-tilling in general, just starting out with on on some of this, like we talked about some cooler ground, or, I mean, am I picking up on, like you said, maybe someone fields are fit, if you can wait, doing something like that? Because we kind of already covered the whole timing thing. Well, I, I guess one thing I could add, the easiest thing I think it was for us to no-till is corn into alfalfa. It's probably the easiest thing to do is plant into alfalfa. It, it works tremendous. It, it's almost foolproof. Everybody talks about the first thing you should know. The first thing we ever did no-till was wheat. We no-tilled wheat into alfalfa fields. And then we tried no-tilling corn, which worked. And they all say, well, you should no-till uh, beans in the corn. We find that to be the hardest thing there is to do. Uh, the e- it's much easier, I feel, to no-till corn in the soybean stubble than it is to no-till beans in the corn. Uh, that, that stock out there, there's a lot of stuff out there. And uh, we plant in 15-inch rows with the bean planter. So we're trying to put the bean planter in between the rows, get two rows in between the corn, and not hit the corn that sometimes creates little issues. Uh, this past year, I planted on a diagonal, which looked like heck when I got done. But as the beans grew, it turned out tremendous. Uh, I don't know if that was a one-year thing or not. Usually, we try and follow the rows. And then the problem we have is we have a six-row corn planter, but we have 815 bean planter. So your end rows aren't always exactly 30 inches, and sometimes you overlap, but we want guidance two years ago, so we pretty much have taken care of that. That helps a lot. Oh, yeah. Is there anything you're looking to do to help with residue management when you're planting soybeans into corn? Well, my son stock shreds all his, and I don't. 
Uh, I like it better to go up there and plant into it. He's trying to get breakdown faster. I did, I crushed a bunch of fields this fall. I'm going to see that, just break them down. The stuff that's on the ground, push tight to the ground. Hopefully we'll get earthworm activity. I have no idea how that's going to work, but we did try it, and we'll see once. Uh, so you just took a roller right over the top? Just took the crusher right over the top, and uh, it did break them down somewhat. We'll find out in spring how it worked. Lucas, do you have a customer that's doing that? Does yeah, after planting soybeans, go in and roll them immediately after. Oh. I don't know how much is getting done in the fall. Okay. Some. I didn't know if they were doing it in fall or not. Mostly I spring. wasn't sure. They're rolling their beans after planting. Well, we we do that and we don't do it. I, I don't know which is the best way yet. Mm-hmm. You ever rolled them after they came up? No. <laughs> not enough guts. <laughs> I called Chris this last spring. I wanted to do it and... He was hesitant. My son was hesitant. So I parked it back in the shed said, forget it. Because we had we had one farm where we had to do move round around and stuff. And so I worked up a little bit of it, and I wanted to go down there and crush it. Well, you know, we got to plant it, then it rained, and then we had other stuff to do. And when I finally got to it, they were out of the ground a couple of inches. And I looked at them, and I called those guys, and both of them said, oh, I wouldn't do it, and I didn't do it. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you there too. I guess tried it on some small base basis, and it 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 came out fine. Yeah. But I just I don't know wrong conditions, wrong weather right after. I just it makes me nervous. Seems like there's just way too much risk involved with it. I mean, it may work, but is it going to work one out of five years, or you know, mm-hmm. I I don't know. Well, see, we also have a crusher, not a roller, so we also have like the sharp oh, okay. teeth on it. So. Right. We have a chance to do much more damage than just a flat roller. Right. And so decided have you not seen to rolling? I mean, has that helped even with harvest the next year? Oh yeah. Well, we've never done it in uh in the fall like I did it this year. Never but if the stocks are shredded, it makes harvest so much easier. Right. And that's one of the problems we have is all that stock some stock standing up. Yeah, it works while the sun is shining. As soon as the sun starts going down, those things pick up moisture. And we start having trouble cutting. Things starting to push. Uh, and a lot of times we'll just combine that diagonal then. And that seems to help a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned before you've also, you have been doing a little, little bit or quite a bit of tiling on, on a lot of ground or just where you need it or? Just, no, we we have a lot to do yet. My farm has a lot of tiling done on it. But since we've gone to no-till, we realize we need a lot more. We need to split a lot of things that are out there. Uh we have fixed some fields, and it's been very good. Uh, it works tremendous then. Have you seen a pretty big yield advantage after tile was installed? Oh, yeah. 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 My highest yielding field was the field we fixed a couple of years ago. Uh, that was the one. That, and the only reason we were able to plant it on May 26th is because of the tile. The rest of the farm wasn't ready to go. So the tile is huge. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely been a push for that all over the countryside. I don't see that going away, especially no. because I I feel, me personally, that there's been a pretty big shift that more people are moving to minimal till, no yeah. till, and I think, you know, drainage is key. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this year, looking at yield maps and stuff, where poor drainage to good drainage was, I mean, it was an easy 50-bushel yield hit in corn. Oh, yeah. By far. 
Are you you are mapping yield mapping yeah. on a lot of your stuff? Yeah. Well, switch it up a little bit. You mentioned you farm with your son, so you guys are out sharing the same equipment and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. How do you see that going, transitioning in the future? If we need a new comment, he's buying it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. No, I'm. Right now, I own all the machinery except for the sprayer. Uh, he rents the equipment from me, so I get you know paid for that, and it works pretty well. Uh, at some point, I'm gonna start backing away, and he's gonna have to start either buying mine or buying the new stuff. So you guys work together as far as helping each other get the crop in, or is it pretty separate? No, we work together. Yeah. Whatever you know. Whatever's fit, whatever needs to get done is yeah, getting done. Yeah, he you know, he travels a lot for his job, so a lot of times he's not around. So a lot of times his is weekends or nights, and I get done with I can with mine during the day, and then at night he goes at his, and yeah, we pretty much work together. One question I have, and this is kind of off topic, and we've maybe covered this before, is what's the biggest difference you've seen in your soil over your course of going to no-till minus i mean we talked about that you carry better yeah and you have less erosion but have you noticed like a physical change in your soil over the course of 10 years or so well you can go out there and you can grab a handful of dirt and and it, it's not all compacted it's just that's the biggest thing i noticed i mean almost a little more mellow yeah it's, it's more mellow it's uh it's more forgiving mm-hmm. uh Pretty much that. Yeah, which is important. I mean, the more days you have to have a corn planter in the field, the easier it is for you guys. It's not rush, rush, rush to slam everything in the ground. But it seems like we're getting less and less days Yeah, of being able to plant. For sure. Uh, I don't know. It, it seems like every year is getting a little bit shorter. you got to get more planted faster, and uh, all of a sudden we're into June 1st, and it's like, wow, how'd that happen? Mm-hmm. Moving forward in, in your guys' operation, is there any one thing, maybe multiple, that, that – getting you excited or something you're looking at that you know whether it's product the practice or something that gets you excited in the next five years that there's something that you're looking at i I think we'd like to uh try strip tilling we'd like to be able to make two paths across the field one pass strip till and put down the fertilizer and then you're just planting after that you're not putting everything else out there you just the planter would just focus on planting I, now it seems like it takes us so long to refill a planter every time you're filling a dry fertilizer the seed the, the pop-up the 28 percent it's just like a mass production you know every time you have to fill up it'd be nice if we could just do a strip till and either blow it on or something that that one's putting the fertilizer out there and you just come back and plant yeah, and getting that little zone warmed up then too, even yeah. you're planting in, moving a little dirt around. Yeah. And I think that could help with residue management too, planting your soybeans into corn stubble. You're probably right. I, right now we have made like a little strip till bar. Basically all it is is row cleaners on 12-row bar, and we're cleaning out the rows, and it does make a huge difference. Uh, we've, we've had some corn that was three years corn on corn, all no-tilled and never saw a yield drop. Now every year is different, so it might have been a better year, but the yields have always been there on that. And You doing that in the fall or the spring? Spring. Spring? Yeah. And uh, 
I think that's what shows so much promise of maybe doing a strip till. Trouble is we don't have a tractor big enough to pull a strip till yeah. bar. There's a lot that goes into it. I mean, we're seeing, definitely seeing some guys go on their route, and it's it's exciting, I guess. Um, but there's a lot that goes into it, too. I mean, yeah. there's tractors, what kind of implement you're going to go with. There's there's multiple out there, obviously. But, yeah, that, that definitely gets me excited as well. Kind of off of the strip till thing, do you guys see yourself doing more of the 60-inch corn? <laughs> you got to bring that up, didn't you? I had to. <laughs> <laughs> that was very interesting this year. It it popped out of ground. It grew so fast. It was outstanding. But if you ever noticed, when you plant the field, if you have, oh, let's just say 40 inches left and you don't get a row in there, what happens? Weeds. Oh, no. No? Raccoons. Oh, they always seem to find the widest part, and that's where they start ripping down. Okay. Now you put 60-inch cornrows out there, and that's our biggest problem that we had there. The coons devastated it. Hmm. What were you doing in between? Were you put, did you have, I mean, were you putting out another crop or cover? No, we, did, we never got around to it. There was no cover crop in between, but they could just walk right down the rows, and oh, they true. just devastated. So we we took yield checks on it, but... With all the corn that was ripped down and destroyed by raccoons, it's hard to really justify. Hard to gauge on it. Yeah, and it was only what three, four acres that we tried, but that was our number one culprit in there. Right. So we would like to be able to put cover crops in there, but I don't think that would have stopped the coons either. Right. No, it's exciting. I mean, always try something, see see what happens up happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was because basically we still had the same population. We just planted two rows eight inches apart. So what would have that been? Uh, like 52 inches between the rows. And it worked to combine it. That was the coon damage. That mm-hmm. We even planted sweet corn around it. Hopefully they would like go to the sweet corn. They didn't. <laughs> Did you have trouble keeping weed control in check? Or? Uh, that field had some problems. Had some issues. Uh, but that was probably more our fault sure. than uh, anybody else. It, it actually grew too fast, and that would have been Stevens Field. And like I said, he travels a lot. And I think from one time to the next, when he got home, it went from boom, boom. Yep. It was we couldn't get through it no more. And most of your spraying, you're doing two passes. Did you say before on corn? Mostly only one. One. One for uh, herbicide. Now we're spraying fungicides and stuff too, oh, okay. so we are making more than one pass. But herbicide, we've gotten away from. We're basically using one pass, and it's pre-emergence and it's worked tremendously for us what have you seen on the funder side <sighs> ask you each year and it's maybe a little different well my son will give you a better glowing report than me uh that's so hard to gauge the fungicide unless you let strips in the field right I, I have a hard time with that we do use them uh we don't i don't spray everything with fungicide uh we sprayed probably 60, 60 or 70 percent of the corn. I did have a field where we sprayed the west half and not the east half. And the only difference I noticed is the east half was close to the woods and I had more coon damage. But I didn't I didn't see a yield. Pick anything up? Yeah, it was it was hard to pick up anything on that. 
And I, I think we've seen that. I mean, I, based on years, I mean, one year might be just an absolute slam dunk, and the next year might be, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I feel better that I did it maybe, and I don't know. But, yeah, that's something I think we've all seen. Yeah. Well, we put it on soybeans this year. I did. Steven didn't. And uh, I thought I saw more of a help in the soybeans. Yeah. I think uh, that's – I know that's some of these chemical companies' big push is what they're really – Starting to hammer down as the soybeans even more than the corn piece, but I mean I think they both have their place. But well, I think a lot depends too. Uh, the corn. I mean, uh, I know DeKalb has in their book, you know, which ones Response respond scores. better, and, and that's the field where he sprayed half and half. That corn said didn't show a large response to fungicides. Now we did have well, you had the forty four eighty. Yep, and I made sure I sprayed that. Right, and uh, the one field where we sprayed like three quarters of now half the field, but the headlands were all the forty four eighty. And uh, when I combined it, where we didn't have the fungicide, was down tremendously sure. more. Uh, was able to pick it up, nope. but uh, it was down more there. On the beans, did that push back your harvest at all? On the fung- running fungicide on the beans? I don't think so. Not much. Maybe it, beans are so funny, right? Uh, I don't think it made much difference. Did it mean any difference combinability at all? I guess I'm just throwing out some things that I hear for some growers sometimes when we start talking about it. I didn't notice nothing different. Okay. I don't. I don't think there was a problem with anything. I, th- I think most of the beans were frozen off by the time we started combining anyway. Yeah. I I think one of the things I've noticed myself with the fungicides is it seems when you start getting into these very high yield potential or or you're you have that potential out there. It's maybe not so much about gaining yield, but protecting the yield you have. Um, you, you know, if, if you start getting into 250 bushel corn, a little bit of stress doesn't take a lot to knock it out. Oh, exactly. You know, so if you want to maintain that yield, you kind of have to almost put the fungicides on so it doesn't have a bad day, you know. Um, and that, I would say the economics of it in the last few years was maybe kind of tough. But as we start to get into better commodity prices, you know, you want every bushel, really. Um, so it, to me, it's something that should probably be going on. So you sold me again? Yep, sold you again. Little boy, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, last year we used a drone to spray our fungicide. What was that? I've, I mean, we got someone in our in our area that's going to be starting to do it, and I guess I, I haven't seen it. I, you know, heard about it. It, it it's it's amazing. I mean, they're just out there flying a drone and how big of a drone was it? Like how big of a thing were they spraying? Do you have any tw- idea? Twenty feet. Twenty feet. But the drone was probably no bigger than five feet. Okay. Uh spanned out. They spray they maybe twenty feet above the corn if that far. Uh it worked. It, I did see streaks in our corn though, the one field. Okay. Uh, didn't notice nothing difference in the yield. Uh, the yield monitor didn't show anything. So, but visually, you've seen some candy cane yeah. or so. Yeah, I think I sent Chris a picture. Yeah, you of it. sent me a picture of that. You, you could pick it out, and it probably would have because he f- he sprayed it uh, 90 degrees to the rose, and that's probably why you could see it. If you'd have sprayed with the rose, I don't think you'd ever notice it because all the other fields are sprayed with the rose. Mm-hmm. Never saw a thing in any other field, but I was the only one. So I'm thinking there's probably some of that everywhere. Don't get quite as good at coverage, but. There was no streaks in the field when we combined that we could pick up with the yield monitor. 
and really that streak was maybe what a roll roll wide probably you know so yeah it, it wasn't huge but no no know. it's interesting it definitely you could notice it though when you walked in there and looked at it the corn where the fungicide where you knew it was the heaviest was healthier than the stuff on the edge of the uh, fringe of it you could pick that out real easy so so is that manual is that manually operated the drone or is that all program laptop he programs the field until laptop and it flies they could i forget how many acres they could spray they're only carrying like three gallons or something like that uh but he could spray how much maybe it was more than that he was carrying it wasn't very much uh so they have to land a lot and uh the biggest problem I see is that as the fields get longer, you know, you sometimes you run out when you're at the end, so you have to fly back mm-hmm. instead of coming to the front. Uh, but I'm sure they'll figure that out too. Mm-hmm. I think one of our best investments that has nothing to do with the no-till was a guidance system. Uh, I was late in adapting to it, but this last year I finally got it down, and boy, that takes a lot of stress off. <clears throat> so you did this two years ago is when you implemented? We put it in two years ago, and, you know, being the old stubborn guy I am, uh, I just couldn't get the hang of it and finally just say, forget it. Stephen mm-hmm. would plant his hit with it. Mine, I just, I could see where I'm going. But this last spring, I got the hang of it, and, man, does that take the stress off. That just, you can plant a lot longer and a lot less stress, and you know, that that was good. Even, you know, we use it for spraying, and uh, there, too, Especially in season when you're you're dropping the foam down in between rows and like well, which row is that in? Mm-hmm. It, it the guidance system on a tractor for that was tremendous. You said take some stress off me, put some attention on some other things while you're making a trip that you can maybe observe or yeah, I can make a phone call or oh, there you go. <laughs> send me pictures. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it just just the, not the staring, you know, yeah. just it makes life a lot yeah. easier. With having the the GPS or you know on your tractor, do you see yourself adding anything to the planter like roll shutoffs or hydraulic downforce or stuff like that? I would love to do all that. Uh, we haven't done it yet. Maybe that'll be in the future. Uh, shutoffs is a thing that I really would like to get to. It's all cost money. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. So I I, th- I think. Money is better spent on keeping the planter in top condition. Uh, to me, right now, I mean, every year we go through the planter. We're replacing something's being replaced every year, uh, and uh, something as simple as uh, the chains that run the row drives uh, can make a huge difference. This year we replaced all the tires on the planter, not because they're worn out, but we were having trouble with sometimes with uh, the drive wheel. And I noticed, oh, the ridges are worn down. So we put new tires on the planter. We're hoping not to have that issue. Uh, there, there's so many things to keep the planter in top condition is the thing that's the most important. And row cleaners, uh, keep them. I mean, we rebuild them just about every year. We rebuild them. new bearings, whatever. Yeah, keeping everything in tip-top shape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you stressed a good point because you really only want to have one good shot yeah. planting a field. And if it's not done right, it haunts you the entire year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is something that I know myself, we try to stress. We got the, the planting checklist, you know, go for every year. But 
it's good to hear that we got some guys that are really actually paying that much attention to it because I think that is something, unfortunately, does get missed with some guys. Well, and in your scenario, you kind of have a complex system. I mean, you're running 28, you're running in furl, you're running dry two by two. I mean, you've got a pretty complex system. And if one of those parts or one of those systems isn't operating correctly, I mean, it's going to affect you. Yeah, it does make a difference. So thanks for joining us today, Dave. And uh, we hope you have a successful 2021 cropping season. And uh, that's a wrap. Well, thanks for having me.